Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to be all over the book of Genesis, from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 22. So if you want to have your Bibles open to that, I would greatly appreciate it. If you're visiting Christ Church, as Michael already welcomed you a little bit earlier, I want to say uh, welcome. My name is Mark. Uh, I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and uh, we're glad you're with us. You've already heard Michael explain that we're going to begin the series called Shadows, which is, uh, in theological terms, a typological study. Uh, A type has been defined as a shadow cast from the Old Testament into the new where it's fully realized. And so the easiest way to explain what a typology is, is there are certain people in the Old Testament that foreshadow Jesus. They indicate something about what Jesus would do. For instance, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, and that is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do when he'd lead us out of the slavery of sin into heaven. And so there's images like that that we're going to focus on this series. I ultimately wanted to call this series, Where's Waldo? <clears throat> but see, but what we found out is there's a generation that goes to this church that didn't play the Where's Waldo. And I thought Michael looks a lot like Waldo. So with the glasses and a red and white turtleneck, he'd have been awesome, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't play nice. So uh, we didn't call it that. <clears throat> but now we are. Uh, so... What we want to do is, I want you to understand, the Old Testament is full of deep theological discussions, but it's also full of, full of characters that reveal to us things about God too. And this series, we're going to be looking at individuals in the Bible and moments in their engagement with God that reflect something about God and most of all, introduce us to what Jesus would provide for all of us. So, you willing to play along? I told first hour, are you willing to play along? And a couple of them said no, so they left. And you're fearful. But I know, truthfully, I'm really excited about what we're going to do in this series called Shadows as we show you some of the intimation of what Jesus will become for us found in the stories of real people facing real issues. Today, I want to look at a 90-year-old woman who laughs. And what can we learn from this? This entire series, the genesis of this series, actually came when I was uh, reading an article in the Gospel Coalition by Dr. Timothy Keller, and he introduced ways to bring the Bible to life by showing that Jesus is present even when he's not in the Old Testament. And as Michael talked about in Luke 24, Jesus said, all these scriptures are talking about me. So we're going to be looking at some of these stories, and today we begin with a woman named Sarah who's 90 years old. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son, Abraham, in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Well, this is actually the midpoint of Sarah's story. It's a story about a woman who laughs twice and hears the laughter of another and it changes her life. 
And you might think that the laughter isn't a big thing, but I want to show you here that the story of Sarah reveals a lot about who we are in God, and it will foreshadow for us the power of what God would do in Jesus. So let's look at these three moments of laughter from the life of Sarah. The first is a disbelieving laugh. This is when Sarah laughs at God. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. And again, I just love the sound of pages turning. I know some of you have uh, apps that you're using on your devices, which is fantastic. But stay up with me in these texts. I want you to see them. Genesis 12, 7. God comes to Abraham and he says, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. The speculation I read is at this moment in time, Abraham is 75 years old. So I want you to know that there comes a moment where God makes a promise to Abraham and he takes 25 years to fulfill it. And if those numbers are correct, 20 to 25 years, I want us to stop and realize that sometimes we have a disbelieving laugh at God too, and it's because of our impatience. God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to make you the father of faith and I'm going to give you a son. And here was this 75-year-old, 80-year-old man who did not have a child and the truth of the biology would mean that's close to impossible. There's no way he's going to father a child. So he kind of assumes maybe that it won't be necessarily his blood, but it will be in another means. But God says, no, no, I'm going to bring you to your barren wife, Sarah. Sarah can't have children. I know you hear this often in church, but I don't think we understand it in the impact in Western culture, that for a woman to be barren meant her future was suspect and her neighbors would judge her. If you read your Old Testament, you know that several women, Sarah and Hannah and several others, are barren. They can't have children, and they're devastated by what that means to their their heritage, to their lineage, and even to their future. Jesus goes by the funeral procession in the New Testament. He sees a woman leading a funeral, which meant the person leading was the patriarch or the leader of the family, and he realized that's all she had was that one son, and he raised him to life. That's how important having a son was to a woman. And God says, you're going to have a child, and he's excited, but then it doesn't happen. You see, if God would have given them, think about this with me, if God would have given Abraham and Sarah a child when they were in their 30s, nobody would have thought anything about it. That's just biology. If they would have given it to a child in their 50s, people would have gone, well, that's uncommon, but it's possible. The last I saw in the Guinness Book of World Records, the oldest woman to give birth was 64 years of age, and it made a headline. So God says to a 75-year-old man with a 65-year-old wife, your wife's going to have a child, and maybe there's a reason it didn't happen right away because no one would have been aware that this was something unusual. So finally, turn with me to Genesis 17. Time has passed, and Abraham is nearly 100 years old, and Sarah is nearly 90. And God comes to Abraham's tent with some visitors, and he says, I'm going to give you a son. And what did Abraham, the man of faith, do? Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born born to a man of 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? When I was preaching this in another season in my life, and I wasn't preaching on this particular, uh, I was preaching on this text, but it wasn't this sermon. And I was sharing it back in Michigan, and I said, isn't it funny? He fell down and laughed, and I made a big to-do about that. And a man in our church, 85 years of age, came up to me afterwards, and he said, I'll tell you why he laughed, because he fell down and lived. (laughs) And I thought, okay, some biblical insight. (laughs) Fair enough. 
And while laying there, sur- surprised that he survived, he said, will a man be born to, or will a son be born to a man 100 and to a mom 90? You see, he fell down. And why did he fall down? Some might suggest he fell down in worship because he remembered that 25 years ago, God had made this promise. And I want to pause the story right here and I want to talk to our church. Some of us have a disbelieving heart and we laugh at God because we think we've waited long enough and he hasn't done what he said he would do. The question of the morning for many of us will be this. Can you follow a God who's not nearly in the hurry you are? And if God makes a promise and he waits 25 years to fulfill it, is he still God? Because for many of us, I've prayed about this for three days, really. Read in the scriptures and you'll find that many of the promises that we remember God making took years and decades and sometimes centuries to be fulfilled. And this is one of them. Can you follow a God who's not nearly in the hurry you are? And she, or he laughed when he fell down and thought, there is absolutely no way physiologically that a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man can produce a child. Jump with me to chapter 18, Genesis 18, 10. Then the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Verse 12. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? I want you to pause here with me in verse 12, and I want you to notice something. The data was there. Sarah's not a fool, She's gone through menopause. He's most likely impotent. She's doing the math. She said, there's no way. The data, the evidence in front of me is the opportunity God had to do what God said he would do is past. And I think every one of us can relate to that. So this is not just some knuckle-dragging Neanderthal who can't figure out God. This is a bright, intelligent, heart-sick woman who wants nothing more than to have a child, but the math can't add up. You see, she felt in spite of the promises of God, the time had come and gone. Her hopes were limited by her body. Her hopes were limited by her mind. You see, sometimes the gospel is resisted because it promises too much. Some of us really struggle believing and investing our hope in the gospel because it promises so much. That there was a a, a king who's going to return, and if he was going to return, he said he would be back. It's been, what, 2,000 years, and he's not come back? And there's going to be a heaven, really? Really, Mark, you believe that there's actually this other world that exists beyond us? My answer is I do. Do I have the evidence of all of that? I do not. But I know the one who made the promise. And I know the promises he's kept in my life. So I'm betting my life on it. And I could be wrong, but I don't fear that. Because God's promises have all come true. And the ones that haven't been fulfilled yet, when they are fulfilled, they're perfectly timed. Sometimes we have trouble with the gospel because it promises too much. Sometimes the gospel is resisted because of our fear of looking like a fool. Our fear of things not working out the exact way we thought they would, or our fear that God will do what God wants and he won't ask our opinion. There's a lot of fear. One of the things deep down that Sarah and Abraham feared was it was too late. And why would they put their hope in something that didn't make sense, something that they couldn't control? 
So Sarah laughed, and Abraham laughed, but their laughter came with disbelief. Now, I want to jump to another kind of laughter that happens in their lifetime. It's not necessarily performed by them, but watch the reaction to it. It's a laughter that reveals idolatry. It's a laugh that revealed idolatry. Let me explain it in Genesis 21, verses 8 and 10. If you'll turn over to that chapter. Genesis 21, verses 8 and 10. On the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Pause. The weaning process would mean that he became a little boy who could eat normal foods and drink uh, normal drinks, and his mom did not have to breastfeed him anymore. So they would have this rite of passage celebration. And Abraham had this big feast to celebrate that this promised child that they received named Isaac was, was growing up to be a little guy. And he was good, and he was healthy, and he was strong. And they had a celebration. Verse 9. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Okay, if you don't know this story, let me tell you what's happened. In the 20 to 25 year period of time while they were waiting for the promised son to come, Sarah became frustrated. And in her impatience, she said, take my my servant, Hagar, And have a baby with her, and that will be the child that will take care of us in our old age. And so Abraham did, idiot. (laughs) And the minute that child was born, was Sarah excited? No. Was there punishment to be paid by everybody involved? Yes. But for the record, whose idea was it? Sarah's, but she's lit. And all of a sudden, they're having this party for her child when she gives birth, and she finds out that his son, by that woman, is making fun of my baby. He's making fun. He's laughing at this little toddler trying to become a big boy. And that laughter ignites in Sarah indignation. And she cries out, get that woman and that kid out of my house. He's not taking a single thing from my son. Now, I want you to know something about her fear. Her fear was that Ishmael would take the father's heart and the father's inheritance. And she wanted to protect her baby Isaac. What's amazing to me when you think about this is she doesn't remember the promise of God of the blessing that would be on Abraham's offspring. And if you know the story, when Ishmael was born, God said to Abraham, what's that? It's my son. It's not the one I told you I would bless. And God made it crystal clear that he would take care of Ishmael, but Isaac would be the son that would receive the inheritance God promised back in Genesis 12. Sarah forgot that. Because Sarah protected the most important thing in her life, and she forgot where it came from. I want you to reason with me on this. She was so worried and the need to protect Isaac, she forgot where Isaac came from. And for many of us, I wonder if the laughter that threatens us doesn't reveal our idols. Someone laughs at your reputation. Someone laughs at your family. Someone laughs at your business. Someone laughs at your lack of education or your education. Someone picks on the thing and you find out how much you need that to be left alone for you to feel secure. And this is exactly what happened to Sarah. And also, obviously, was happening to Abraham, too. Turn to Genesis 22, verse 2 with me. 
In Genesis 22, verse 2, there's an amazing thing that takes place here. You know this passage if you know the story of Abraham. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And we know this story. God said, now I want you to notice in this verse as you look at it, there's an expression there that's so important. He says, whom you love. And when you first read that, you could read that quickly and go, well, he's just simply saying, Abraham, you love Isaac. No, what he's saying is, Abraham, you love Isaac more than me. Isaac has become your salvation. Isaac's become your God. You worship Isaac. Instead of the giver of the gift, you worship the gift. And I think if I can just generalize fairly accurately, many of us have struggled with this too, haven't we? Our security is in a person, a relationship, a job, a paycheck, notoriety, acclaim, privilege. And when those things get threatened or made fun of, we become indignant. And we begin to say, get them and their stuff out of my business. And sometimes we can even say that to God. And God saw that their hearts had turned to Isaac being an idol. So he said to Abraham, take him and give him back to me where he came from. And we know Abraham was willing. And he took him and he laid him on the altar and he lifted up the blade to end his life so that he could burn the sacrifice. And God said, don't. I now know that you love me if you're willing to give up the gift I gave you and remember the giver. You see, this all comes down to the laughter that made Sarah furious is found in Genesis 16. It's, it, let's call it a theological distortion. She's lost her place with God. Look at Genesis 16, verses 1 and 2 with me. And I want to show you something that she, she reveals in her response when she comes up with the idea for Abraham to have a son with another woman. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord God has kept me from having children. What? This sounds like Adam and Eve in Genesis, doesn't it? That woman you gave me gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Ah, nice blame shifting. That serpent told me to do it, so I did it. Blame shifting. God can't be trusted. Blame shifting. And here you have this moment. She says, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Notice the pronouns. You go do this so I can make something happen. And this is what was taking place. It wasn't going to be through God's work. It was going to be through Sarah's work. She was tired of waiting. Now, I don't want to villainize Sarah because this is hard. And the reason I keep saying, and we're just like Sarah, is to remind us we're just like Sarah. That the things she's going through are things we've battled with our entire lives as well. When you try to save yourself, when the thing that saves you or you think saves you is threatened, you'll become embittered, protective, and indignant. So I want to take you to the third laugh that you see here in her story. It's the beautiful laugh. It's a grace-filled laugh. It's what happens when she realizes that the God who made a promise can keep a promise. Genesis chapter 21, verses 5 through 7, again. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I love the question she asks. She says, who would have ever thunk it? Of all the things to happen in this world, I fell down and laughed at God. God said, you're going to have a child. I went, you have no clue. God's like, excuse me? 25 years later, she has a child. And she says, who would have thought this? Well, I think you should have. You were told about it how many times? And before we look in judgment on Sarah, remember that there are other moments when mothers who should have known better question why something was happening, and the Bible records they went, oh, yeah, God promised that, didn't he? That's why knowing the promises of God is essential for us to walk by faith, to be reminded when the world gives a disbelieving laugh or a scoffing laugh that we stop and say, no, it's a grace-filled laughter that I seek. Genesis 18 Verses 8 through 15 is a beautiful passage that I want you to see. It's the fulcrum moment in this message I want you to hold on to. Genesis 18. While they ate, this, was when, this is when the messenger of God with two servants came. Now, some have speculated, if you want to talk about foreshadowing, some have speculated that the person talking to Abraham under this tree may have been Jesus. Intriguing. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree... Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, Abram said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind them. Let's pause. I'm sure she was cleaning. She was actively busy. I'm sure she wasn't just eavesdropping. Whatever. Verse 11. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, am I, uh, after I am worn out and my master is old, how will I, uh, will I now have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, which is funny, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? And Abraham's looking around like, she's not even out here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 14. I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied. And she said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did. That's how I hear it anyway when I read it. It's like two kids in the back of a car. He's touching me. I did not. You are too. God says, why is she laughing? And Abraham's like, I don't know. Ask her. Sarah, why are you laughing? I didn't laugh. You laughed. Why would God make a point of this? Because he wants to put it on the record. He says, no, I'm going to come back in a year and you're going to have a child and you're going to name him Isaac. Does anybody know what Isaac means? Laughter. Sarah, you're doing a lot of laughing. I want you to laugh the right way. I'm going to bring you joy. I'm going to bring you grace. I'm going to bring you peace. In verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the question. But I want you to know that the Hebrew word hard or difficult can be translated the way it's used into wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for God to do, church? This is the question of Sarah's story. It's the question of why she laughs. When she doesn't believe that God can do something, she laughs disbelievingly. When she believes that she's got to save herself, then she gets furious when anybody laughs at her salvation. But when she knows God's deliverance and God's gifting, she laughs with joy. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Let me take you to the New Testament. Let me take you to Luke chapter 1, verse 37. We have a teenage girl. I've read she could have been anywhere from the age of 12 to 14 years of age. She's never been with a man sexually. She's a virgin. And God appears to her 
through an angel, and the angel says, you're going to give birth to a son. And she says, how? I've never been with a man. The biological question arrives in both cases. But look at the difference. You have a 12 or 13-year-old girl. You have a 90-year-old woman. And the question that Gabriel asks Mary, in fact, the statement that's made, that Mary repeats, is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Nothing is too wonderful for God. And we wonder, when, when Gabriel said that to Mary, did Mary stop and say, isn't that what the angel messenger said to Sarah? And the child born to a God that has nothing too wonderful for him to do? The child born was named Isaac. Years, hundreds of years later, generations later, a new Isaac would be born. His name would be Jesus He would be born by by miraculous birth, a birth that the world couldn't make sense of, a world where the data wasn't just there, but he was born without a father. He was born as to a virgin who had never been with a man, and he became what Isaac was promised to be to Abraham, your salvation. God said to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a son who's going to take your generations, and he's going to save the world. And then that Isaac came to a young lady named Mary. She gave birth to him. And there were moments that she wondered, how can this happen? And the question of the day is, is there anything too wonderful for God to do? So when we laugh disbelieving, we answer that question, yes. When someone makes fun of our salvation and we realize it's in a person or a relationship or prestige, we get furious. But when you know what God's done in your life, your laughter is different, isn't it? Because we say, is there anything impossible for God? And we chuckle and go, no, he's really good. He's more than capable. How about this, church? When the world says, I can't believe in the resurrection, I can. I can't believe in the virgin birth, I can. Was I there for either one of those moments? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you this, the promises of God that I've experienced in my life indicate to me there's more to come. And even when God hasn't answered every promise I've wanted him to, in the moment I've wanted him to, and even at this age in my life when I look back and say, there are promises in the scripture that I've never experienced yet. I don't stop and say, God retired. God got out of the business. I stop and say this, am I willing to wait on a God who's not nearly in the hurry that I am? And then we see from a woman's laughter and the laughter of her lifetime that there was a promise God made Because God said to Sarah and Abraham, give me him back. And they struggled, but they did. And they raised the knife, and before they were to plunge the knife into the heart of their their son, God said, don't, don't. I now know you love me. But our God took his son to that same Mount Moriah, now called Mount Zion. And he offered him on a cross on a hill called Calvary. And when the knife was raised... And his life was about to be taken. God didn't say don't. God remained silent. And his life was taken from him so you and I could live. The promise made to Sarah and Abraham in Genesis 12 that they would have a child that would bring the redemption to all the world by faith. That child was brought as the new Isaac to a young lady named Mary. We named him Jesus. And it means Emmanuel, God with us. And his life was given. Not figuratively, His life was given literally so that you and I could have hope. So when the world laughs disbelievingly, we won't. 
And when the world threateningly laughs at our salvation, we won't. But when we think of King Jesus and we think of the promise of God and we think that God is faithful from Genesis all the way through the end and the promise of the return of Jesus Christ, you and I laugh differently. We laugh with joy, don't we? Because the grace of Jesus Christ is our hope. And that's our King. And God is our Father. And we are His children. And this makes life worth living. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. Dot com.